Um, good morning. We're going to look in the book of Acts this morning. If you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 2. We're in a series going through the first 13 chapters of Acts uh, between now and late summer. And this really is all about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is the story of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. And so really we're talking this morning about spiritual experience. And some of the questions that we might bring to this are, so what does our current spiritual experience amount to? Is it normal, what we have experienced? Is there more in the normal Christian spiritual life for us to get hold of. And in that, there can be a little bit of sensitivity. Sometimes some of us can get a little bit nervous that someone's going to say that our current spiritual experience is somehow flawed. And I just want to pray that in all of this, we would accept the plumb line of scripture and allow it to speak to us whatever we've yet experienced and not experienced, yeah? So, Lord God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for uh, just knowing your presence with us already this morning. Lord, we ask for you to come to each one of us, and we pray that this morning there will be more spiritual experience, more of an encounter with you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't just want to read about what you once did, and we don't want to read about it and just think of it as a story for then, but to embrace whatever we can learn, whatever inspiration there is for us this morning, whatever challenge there is for us this morning. Lord, we don't want to miss out on anything that you want to do in us and through us. So would you soften our hearts? And Lord, not to, not to the words that I want to say, but to your word. Would it somehow, in that marvellous way that you do, would it ring? Would your word ring clear from the pages of Scripture and through the words that I have to share too? Lord, would you speak and would we be open, each one of us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to read most of Acts chapter 2 together. So here we go. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost being a Jewish festival that they celebrated every year. When the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest On each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, each one of them. Uh, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I won't be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One See decay. You've made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. So seeing what was ahead... He spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he wasn't abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of the Father, he has received from the Father, sorry, exalted to the right hand of God, sorry, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and work our way through it. At the beginning of the chapter, we have two symbols, two images of what the Spirit was doing, which God gave them to give them insight into the Spirit's work. There was the wind blowing and fire that came to rest on each one of them. These words have got something in common. Can we have the next slide, please? Wind. Uh, you know, in the, <laughs> wind's a funny word in English. Uh, it can mean lots of things, can't it? Um, in both Greek and Hebrew, the word wind was used to mean not only the wind that blows through the air, but spirit 
Or to put it another way, in both of those languages, the word for spirit was the same word used for wind. In John chapter 3 and verse 8, Jesus said this wind, that is the spirit, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, as they did on this day, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Jesus was speaking about new life that was found in him, a second birth by the spirit, the Spirit of God comes to bring new life, and the wind speaks of that. It would have reminded the disciples of that teaching of Jesus, that the wind blows and brings new life. Fire is something that is also found in the Gospels, associated with the coming of the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist spoke and said, I baptize you with water for repentance, But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, The fire that rested on each one, showing that the Spirit was not only amongst them, but the Spirit had come to each one. This Spirit not only brought new life, but there was also a tone of judgment and of purification, of sorting things out. That whatever mixture people had in their lives of that which was truly worthy and should be kept, and that which was just so much chaff, that was unwanted and didn't really belong in their lives, the Holy Spirit came to burn up the mess and leave people consequently made holy. It's not surprising that the Holy Spirit should come and work to make people holy. So the Holy Spirit brings both new life and purity in the lives of those to whom he comes. But you know what? Neither the wind nor fire can be controlled. Uh, we might think these days of fire in a um, sort of a burner or something. We might be quite used to trying to control fire. But fire was proverbially known in the ancient world as something that went like a wildfire and couldn't be controlled. The wind was the same. Jesus said the same thing. You don't even know where it's come from or where it's going. And I think the first issue that we need to note here is that when the Spirit comes, he doesn't come to be controlled by us. This is a pretty important point, because many of us have a tendency to want to control what spiritual experience we have. We place bounds on what it might be, in as much as we want to control our spiritual experience, it will tend to make us insensitive to the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come to be controlled by us. Now, that's different to saying that all spiritual experience it has to be kind of crazy weirdness. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verses 32 and 33 that the spirits of prophet, prophets are subject to the control of prophets... God is not a God of disorder, which is to say that when God comes and works amongst us, he very graciously allows us to be in control. He, it's possible for us to resist and quench the Spirit. He doesn't just come and blast us over without any reference to what we want. The scary truth is that he pays attention to what we want. And if we want to control him, what will happen is we'll get less He comes as wind, don't even know where it comes from or where it's going. He comes as fire, which we can't control either. We'll come back to that later because it's a fundamental issue for us in our walking with the Holy Spirit. Are we trying to control what he wants to do or will we submit to what he wants to do? But we'll come back to that later. For now, let's just step back a little bit. And note that this whole chapter 
Acts chapter 2 speaks about the core dynamics of the Christian life. Let's have the next slide. Um, This is just trying to make things simple for us. Uh, The Christian life at its simplest can be understood as loving God, loving brothers and sisters in Christ, and then just loving everyone else as well. There's an upward relationship with God through Christ, the Holy Spirit. There's our relationship where we gather together and we are a community of brothers and sisters, a family. There's an inward bit and there's an outward bit as well. And what we find is that all of these things are going on in Acts chapter 2. There's the upward relationship as the Holy Spirit came down on them and they praised God. There's the inward bit because they were all gathered together in one place. Next week, when we get to the very end of the chapter, we'll, and Keith's going to be speaking from the last few verses of the chapter, we'll get a bit more detail about what it was as they gathered together in one place. Uh, but there's also an outward bit here. They made themselves known. They made their spiritual experience known to the crowds. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. So on the, let's keep going with the slides. Just to say... The Holy Spirit fell on them, and a sound went out as well. There was a power in their outreach because of what had happened when they were together. These were not separate things, like on the one hand, there's some spiritual encounter with God who came to give them them new life and to change them. Oh, and then there's this other activity but rather it all fits together. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and because of that, a sound went out that had been sparked, that had been brought into being by the Spirit coming. And I know that many of us have a desire for the world to hear the good news about Jesus, to hear that sound And another question that we could therefore ask is, so what do we do when we are gathered together? Do we invite the Holy Spirit to come and to do these things with us? There are different sorts of things that we can do when we're together. One thing we can do is just catch up with each other, find out each other's news. We can pray for each other's specific challenges. We can talk about ideas that we've Uh, heard recently we can talk about things we've been reading in the scriptures you know all of that's good and healthy there is a need for us to receive the spirit afresh as well when we gather in order that the sound might go out that God is alive and in our midst yeah and uh, those of us that are more activist by nature are quite keen to sort of get through all the talking bit and go on and do something and find it even harder just to to sit and wait. And yet we need to do so. The disciples received the Spirit because they were waiting together in one place. And I would really like to underline what Keith said already about this evening. This meeting called Outbreak is about wanting to see the Holy Spirit break out amongst us in a fresh way and we're going to do this not just this evening but month on month and who knows we might end up doing it more often perhaps still but the last Sunday of each month we're going to set aside to gather together precisely with the intention of having our own Pentecost Sunday by Sunday and uh, you know we need it Um, I don't know what's on telly tonight Um, I'm fairly sure it won't do you as much good as the good that will be done to people who gather in God's presence here tonight. You may have other things you need to do. I'm just telling you that being here will do you good. And it will do your mission a whole load of good as well, in as much as you're concerned about that. Let's stick with this triangle thing then. So the Holy Spirit came down and a sound went out. But once the Holy Spirit had landed on people, something came up from these disciples, praise went up to heaven. It says that they spoke praises to God in other languages. For those who heard these other languages, 
it was quite outside their frame of reference. They didn't have a box into which they could place this. This was not a standard Jewish spiritual experience. They could say, oh, that's what that is. And the truth is that when the Holy Spirit comes, he does sometimes do things that just do not fit in our boxes at all. And did you note, there's actually a diverse reaction to this. No one understood it in the crowd. It wasn't that some understood it and some didn't. For all of them, it was quite outside their frame of reference. Some, being confused and bewildered, were intrigued and wanted to understand more. Seeing something outside of their frame of reference intrigued them to look beyond. Say, is there more to life than I've yet understood? Other people mocked and did all that they could to take their observation of these people and stick it in a box that would make sense while they're drunk. That was the nearest box that they could find. And the experience didn't squeeze into that box. But some people will be minded to take whatever they see of the Spirit at work and explain it in other ways. But when the Spirit comes, he will do things that are outside of our existing frames of reference. That's to do with the newness that he brings. Um, some of you will know, because I've said this before, when I was aged, about, I was 21, I was praying with a couple of friends, one of whom was a Christian and one of whom was on a journey towards faith. And we were praying and I prayed simply, God, would you just do more with me? I feel like there's more for me to, to know spiritually than I have. So would you just come? And others, the others were praying similar sorts of things, all of it fairly low key. Um, but I did feel God's presence. I did feel that he drew close. And then when we finished praying, we'd only been praying for a few minutes. This is in a, a room in Wadham College. And uh, they started talking. And when I came to speak, I couldn't. Uh, whenever I talk about it, it's a slightly tricky thing to talk about whilst preaching. Because whenever I remember that, I... Um, because <laughs> uh, God, God did something very deep with me and it wasn't just that I couldn't talk it was like I'd never known it but there'd always been a flywheel of motion in my mind constantly analysing and going and driving me and it was as if in that moment of prayer, God just came and put a finger on that and stopped it. And it wasn't just that I had all kinds of stuff in my head and I just couldn't find a way to say it. God just stopped me. I wasn't asking for that and hadn't expected it. And uh, these two friends started noticing that I wasn't talking to them and they started trying to engage me in conversation. I was like... <laughs> so I ended up writing down on a bit of paper... God has, God has struck me dumb. <laughs> and they're like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> smoke. And, uh, and it was like that for two or three hours. And then, I mean, that experience still remains with me today. It's still, because God did something in me. Um, I have to say that they were both bewildered, perplexed. Um, it took quite a while for them to process, I think, what was... I'm not sure if they did really process what was... It took me a while to process what was going on. But, you know, God will do those sorts of things. It expands us. It stops us getting stuck in thinking that we know how it all happens. And it's not like I'm making a plea for all of us to have the same experience, to have that experience. I'm just saying, God... God will do things that we don't expect and that are outside of what we already know. This gift of speaking in other languages, then, this gift of speaking in tongues, there is sometimes some confusion about this because the two main passages that we have in the New Testament seem sometimes 
to be at odds with each other. This is one of them, and as you can see, the other one is in 1 Corinthians 14. And there are a number of things in 1 Corinthians 14 that just seem to be at odds with what we find in this chapter. So in this chapter, it says that they all spoke in other languages. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, I wish that all of you would speak in other languages, i.e., it's writing to the church in Corinth, and they don't all speak in other languages. He wishes that they would, but they don't. And the practical question then is, should every Christian expect to speak in tongues? That's the practical question, isn't it? And you know, I prayed at the beginning about some people saying, oh, I've got my existing spiritual experience, and is it going to get a little bit judged today? Well, here, this is the rubber hitting the road, isn't it? For those of you that don't speak in tongues, this is not a theoretical question. Should you? Can you? Well, the way to see these things fitting together is we will pray for everyone that they will speak in tongues, and we'll do it with a high level of expectation that it's going to happen. Why have a high level of expectation? Because it's the normal experience through the book of Acts that when we have it recorded that the Holy Spirit came to people, not on every single occasion, but normally at that moment, it says that they started to speak in other tongues. It's that Acts 10, verse 46, chapter 19, verse 6 as well, at the house of Cornelius, there in Ephesus. There are other times when the Holy Spirit came and people aren't recorded as speaking in tongues, but it says that something happened to them. It wasn't just that there was some sort of inner experience that no one would have noticed. When the Spirit came, something occurred. And so what we don't want to do is put a heavy burden on people and say, unless you've been, unless you speak in tongues, you've not got the Spirit of God. And, you know, unless you speak in tongues, even your salvation's in question. No, 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 no. The New Testament doesn't link it up like that. What it says is, I wish you would speak in tongues. I wish everybody would speak in tongues. And the experience of the early church was that most times when people first became Christians, they received that gift. And that was just on their first day with the Holy Spirit, most of them received it. I think it's a strange argument that suggests that because they didn't receive it on the first day of walking with the Holy Spirit, they never did. So we will want to pray. And the main obstacle for people receiving the gift of tongues is not God being stingy with it. It's actually our unwillingness to speak. Prayed with a number of people who want to speak in tongues, and you pray with them and say, so is the... uh, Let me go back a slide. Is the... Thanks. um, Is the Spirit doing something in you? Do you feel God's at work? And say, yes, yeah, he is. Why don't you speak out what's going on inside you? Oh, I can't do that. I'm not sure that it's really there. I'm not sure that God's really given me something. So there's an obstacle of being prepared to speak out, which gets in the way far more often than God not turning up. Okay, another seeming contradiction between Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 is this, that in Acts 2, the other languages uh, produced a mixed response. Some people uh, were intrigued, other people mocked. So there was a mixed response to speaking in tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that if you're speaking in tongues in your church gathering and an unbeliever comes in or someone who doesn't understand what's going on, they'll just think you're mad. That's all that's going to happen. And that's a bit of a contradiction, isn't it? It's a bit more negative. It's rather pessimistic about what might be going on. So how do we make sense of this? Well, we haven't uh, got time this morning to, to have a whole further sermon all on 1 Corinthians 14. So I'll make a few statements about 1 Corinthians 14, which you can go and read and check out for yourself later. But the argument that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 14 is about contrasting 
the differences between speaking in tongues and prophecy. That's what that chapter is about. And what he says about the gift of tongues is the gift of tongues is from the Spirit and it does you good. But whilst you're praying in tongues and it's coming from your Spirit and doing you good, the mind is unfruitful whilst you're doing that. The Spirit's engaged, but the mind is unfruitful. And unless that, those words in that other language, unless they're interpreted, it will only do you good. It won't do anyone else any good because they don't know what you're talking about. And he draws a contrast between the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. It says, the gift of prophecy is also from the Spirit, but in addition, it engages the mind and it's in words that people understand. So not only does it do good to the person who prophesies, but it can do good to everyone. And so his argument is that when we get together, let's have prophecy. But he ends the whole of that discussion by saying this, be eager to prophesy, but do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's not got a downer on speaking in tongues that says, oh, don't bother doing that, it'll do you no good, even in your meetings together, because he's writing about what they do when they're together. Don't forbid it. And sometimes we forbid it, not from, we definitely do not have a church policy of forbidding speaking in tongues, but sometimes there's a, I wonder whether a culture can grow up amongst us if it's just kind of not expected, and therefore it just kind of gets downplayed, and in effect, people don't end up feeling permission. So if any of that is at play amongst us, I want to be really clear and say, there is liberty. (laughs) There is permission. The scriptures expressly say not to forbid speaking in tongues, which means that if God's at work in you and you've got tongues to speak out when we gather together, that's cool. Yeah? That's okay. And we want to see more of it. It's great to prophesy, though. Let's be eager to prophesy, because there's so much more that goes on when we prophesy to each other than simply when we speak or sing in tongues. Okay, last contrast between Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 is that in Acts 2, these languages that they spoke were understood by the Medes and the Parthians and the Arabs. And so that means someone was speaking Arabic. That's really cool, because Arabic's incredibly hard to learn as a language. It takes at least five years, and um, brilliant. But in 1 Corinthians 14, the expectation was that the languages would not be understood. That's a bit of a difference, isn't it? And uh, it's not a problem, though. Sometimes we just get a little bit stuck in ways of thinking about things. And I think one of the things that we can get stuck in is thinking that the gift of tongues just lands bang in a moment and that's it for the rest of your life. So whatever you receive, when you receive it, that's your gift. We wouldn't think that way about prophecy. It's the hope we wouldn't. I hope that we've generated a culture over some years in the church about prophecy where we know that you grow in the gift of prophecy, that what you do is you think you've heard something from the Lord. If in doubt, you give it out and others weigh it. And if it turns out to be on the, you know, on the button, if it does people good, you start to discern what it is of the things that God gives you that really are him speaking. And you grow in the gift and your faith grows. And the scriptures say, all can prophesy... <laughs> just as Paul says, I wish all could speak in tongues. The scriptures say all can prophesy, but we've got to grow in that gift through exercising it over time. When um, occasionally I'm in other countries, this is one of the things that is most, most a blessing to share with other people. In many countries around the world, there is no understanding that you grow in the gift of prophecy a prophet is either right or wrong. They're kind of functioning on an often, in many Pentecostal churches around the world, functioning on an Old Testament approach where 
if it's right, they are, you know, just one step away from Jesus hearing from him. You know, and if they're wrong, well, then they do well to get away without being stoned. And that's not the New Testament approach. There's growth in the gift. And it's not about being here or here. But it's okay that we get it wrong sometimes because it's going to be weighed. The, the scriptures wouldn't talk about weighing prophecy if it was always spot on. Give it out, let it be weighed, grow and learn. Prophesy, it says in Romans 12, according to the measure of your faith. I want to say the same dynamic is at work here in speaking in tongues. There's a great story that uh, will be told for years to come and probably get written down in, in books um, Mary Norwich, who uh, Jeff and Mary used to be part of the church here, they live in Whitney now. They were in India, in Pune, doing a talk, a seminar. Um, I'm back on again. I don't know which one it is. I'll just hold on to them both. That's fine. Uh, is that bad? Put that down. Okay. I'm a man under authority. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, they were doing a seminar on spiritual gifts and Jeff said to Mary, Mary, why don't you come up and just speak in tongues for a little bit so that we take this from being an abstract to a concrete thing and people can know what we're talking about. So she stood at the front and spoke in tongues for a little bit. And um, this was a church camp and there were some unbelievers on the church camp who'd been brought along by their friends, including a couple of Iranians. And afterwards they came up to her and said, we come from a just a, a corner of uh, Iran where there's a dialect of Farsi that not many people speak. It's amazing that you know it. <laughs> she said, I don't. <laughs> and they said, well, but you were speaking it. When you went up the front, you were speaking in our dialect. Brilliant. And we all want those kinds of stories, don't we? And yet, it seems to me that they're... Uh, it, 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 we're not going to get there unless we grow in the gift. It's the, the prophetic words that we might wish we had, you know, the stories of people, you know, sort of reading other people's mail, as it were, and prophetically and saying, you know, this is what happened to you three years ago, and this is what's going on, and this is what you're thinking. And that kind of clarity of prophetic gift doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes through many ups and downs and a growth over time in the gift, in faith growing in the gift. And I want to encourage us this morning to grow in the gift of speaking in tongues. When you first start to speak in tongues, it might be that actually all you get is like one syllable that is truly from the Spirit, but it's not a lot of language. And uh, if the syllable is bar then going bar, 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 bar is a little bit, you know, you can be less than excited about that sometimes. But if that's all you've got, that's what you've got. And uh, it's all right. What I want to say is it's all right. You know, when with the prophetic, someone comes and says, I've got a word from the Lord. The Lord says he loves people. You're like, well, that's good. I'm not sure it was very strongly prophetic, it might have been, but it wasn't a great risk of faith. Do you understand? But it's good. It's to be celebrated. It's true, isn't it, that God loves people. So let's celebrate that and encourage growth. In fact, I want to say the same thing about tongues. Whatever your experience is of speaking in tongues, it's good and to be celebrated. It may be that in your speaking in tongues, honestly, there's a bit of a mixture where you've copied from other people. There may be. Uh, it's true that when we prophesy, it's not all, every syllable direct from you know, the throne of heaven, is it? It's all right. God's at work in it, and we want to grow and develop in it. Um, it <laughs> yeah. Um, it may be that you have one language in which you speak in tongues. It may be that you have a number. Um, I don't know how that works for you. I find that there are different languages that God gives me for different purposes. I never really analysed it, but it's probably five or six for different sorts of things that express different things better and worse. And others of you will have 
different experiences of this gift at work. The big danger, it seems to me, is that we despise the small things and therefore never get beyond them. It's a bit ironic, isn't it? Despising the small because we want the big, but then never getting to the big because we won't go through the small. So we want to celebrate. You know, in, um, in Romans 8, it talks about groans that words can't express and the Spirit interceding for us with groans. If the Holy Spirit can pray with groans, I think we don't need to be too uptight about how linguistic our speaking in tongues has to be before it's spiritual. Yeah? Yeah, okay, good. So, if that is the case, there is another question, I suspect, which is, how do we know then that it is the Holy Spirit? If somebody going... Ba 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 could be a spiritual gift. How do we know that that's the spirit and not just made up, really? And when I'm asking this question, I'm not asking it so that we can better judge each other. I'm asking it so that we can be clearer about what God's doing in our own lives. Uh, you know, we can't tell whether it's the spirit by how we feel. My own experience when I first spoke in tongues at the age of about 13, right at the age of 13, was that, for me, it was like a rush, a torrent that sort of started somewhere deep inside and made its way. I've spoken to other people for whom beginning to speak in tongues was just an incredibly awkward and embarrassing thing. So there's no right way of feeling about all of this. In 1 Corinthians 14 again, and in verse 4, it says that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So if after you've been praying and believe you may well be speaking in tongues, if out of that time of prayer you are stronger, if out of that time of prayer you are more anointed, if out of it you are bolder in your witness, if out of it you have more faith and trust in God, then you've been edified And the Holy Spirit is truly at work. Yeah? So let's have more of it. Okay. Um, Praise. Coming from us up to God. There's also explanation in this chapter. Please don't be too disturbed that I'm only about 12 verses into the chapter. It's all right. Honestly, um, we're nearly there. (laughs) The... um, explanation that Peter gives is really, really good. It's actually a very closely structured and quite cultured argument. We often think of Peter as being uncultured, but he starts with the culture of the people to whom he's speaking, verses 16 to 21. He quotes from the prophet Joel, who was an established authoritative voice in their culture, and quotes God's promise through Joel that he would pour out his spirit liberally in the last days. He reminds them of known facts in verses 22 and 23, that Jesus was a man who had worked miracles and who had been killed. And then he makes a series of points that all add up to make a whole load of sense. He says, look, God raised Jesus from the dead. In Psalm 16, again, part of their culture, it says that the Messiah will be delivered from death. Now, the Messiah The word means the anointed one. That is the one who is full of the spirit. That's what Messiah means. It's the Messiah, the one who's full of the spirit, who is precisely the one who will be delivered from death. So God raised Jesus from the dead. The scriptures say, it's the culture that they were in, that it would be the Messiah who was delivered from death. And therefore, the risen Christ has power to pour out the spirit liberally. And so these new languages that are being spoken by Jesus' followers are actually direct evidence that the one they follow, Jesus, is the Messiah. That he's alive and well in heaven, having been raised from the dead. And so Paul, I'm sorry, Peter concludes his sermon by saying, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He works from their culture and the experience of observed people speaking in tongues say, look guys, this makes sense. Yep. He can explain it to them. 
It was outside of their box as they first saw it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. It can be explained to people. They have an experience outside of their frame of reference. Peter explains it actually in quite a cultured way, how it proved that Jesus was Lord. How did Peter do that then? Was it simply the result of lots of studying? Well, there's an unusual word that appears twice in this chapter in the Greek. And it doesn't, there's a normal word for speaking, and then there's an unusual, rarely used word for speaking, which implies an inspiration from the Spirit to speak freely. And it's used of the disciples as they speak in tongues, and it's used of Peter as he stands up to explain things. The point being made that it's the same spirit inspiration behind the two. It's not that there's a whole spiritual thing going on with speaking in tongues and then we've got to have this kind of boring intellectual bit. It's the same spirit who gives both kinds of speech. The praises to heaven and the clear explanation that enables people to know what it's all about. They both come from the Holy Spirit. So the upward, which way is it? Upward, upward and the outward, they work together. Through our having grand encounters with God and through our talking about it with people as the Spirit inspires, that's how the people around will find out about God for themselves. Both come from the Spirit. So, I'm nearly there. How do we receive this Spirit? Peter gives a very clear answer. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to hold back from talking all about baptism this morning and just stick with this word, repent. Actually, in Joel chapter 2, from which Peter was quoting, it talks in Joel chapter 2 about the need to repent. And it says, after that, then the Holy Spirit will come. Joel chapter 2 says, repentance precedes the Spirit coming. And here, Peter is asked, so how do we get all of this then? What should we do? And he says, first of all, repent. Repentance is about a change of life. It requires a flexibility and a willingness to be led. I want to show a couple of pictures that I showed to some others of you last week. This is a really big horse, and it's really strong, and um, I wouldn't want to fight it. Um, But it's been bridled, and it's possible for someone just to come along and take hold of that rope and lead that horse where they want to take it. And here's another picture. I think this sums it up a little bit more. Equally large horse, bridled, and being led by a little girl where she wants to take it. I think, I think that's a helpful picture of a submissive spirit in us that it's not just about one moment of repentance and now we've got the spirit, bang, that's it for the rest of our lives. God calls us to an ongoing lifestyle of repentance, which means a sensitivity and a flexibility that we're willing to go wherever he would take us. Meekness is another way of saying the same thing. We're ready to go where he wants us to. However strong we may be, we're easily led by him. Yeah? And if we want to receive the Spirit, it's that attitude more than anything else which is going to help us. Saying, Holy Spirit, which comes back to the whole thing about control. The Spirit came as wind and fire, not things that could be controlled. And I pray, God, would you come now and have your way? Lord, if there's any pride in us that insists on setting our own course, if we're hard-hearted or stiff-necked, if we want you, but only on our own terms. Lord, forgive us. Might we change and become quite relaxed about you being in control. 
relaxed about the Holy Spirit ministering to us and amongst us. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, come now. Come now. Lord, we need a Pentecost of our own. Lord, we want more of you. More of you, Lord. More of you. Lord, would you come to give us new life? Lord, in those areas of our lives where we're dead. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has not been born again, Holy Spirit, come. Reveal Jesus. If that's the situation that you're in yourself this morning, please don't go this morning without talking to one of us about how you can be born again and receive new life from the Holy Spirit. Lord, for all of us, would you come and give new life, strength and energy and just living on a different plane to what we've known before. Holy Spirit, come as fire to us. Burn up the rubbish in our lives, Lord. Would you just burn it up? The things that we struggle to let go of and to stop sinning. Burn it up, Lord. The things that we've done that we feel have corrupted and tainted us. Burn it up. Burn it up, Lord. Come and have your way. Lord, out of this morning, may many of us go home and take things in our homes that have led us astray and just get rid of them. Lord, we pray for a radical repentance, Holy Spirit fire burning in us that we might be pure and clean. Lord, would you touch our lips? Lord, I pray for a release in our speech in Jesus' name. For those who've never spoken in tongues to begin to do so, for those who already have received that gift to grow more and more and more that we might be edified, each one of us, not feeling weak, strong in you. Might that gift grow and grow amongst us. Lord, take hold of us and get us better at explaining things as well, we pray. Lord, we need another Pentecost. Send the Holy Spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.